Hello my lovelies and welcome back for another episode of Primed for Crime. I am your host Liv and I'm very excited to have you here and I do hope that you enjoy today's case. So today's case is definitely going to be a little bit of a shorter one. I think I kind of underestimated how long last week's episode was but it is still as mysterious So today I'm going to be talking about the tragic death of 18-year-old Joshua Maddox who left his home in 2008 just to go for a walk and he was never seen alive again until seven years later his body resurfaced in the most unexplained way. So before we get into the case though I just want to state that everything I talk about is information I have found online and I mean no disrespect to anybody involved or mentioned. So with that all been said, let's begin. This is the unsolved murder of Joshua Maddox. On the 8th of May 2008, Joshua Maddox, aged 18, left his house just to take a walk and he let his sister know that he was going but it wasn't too much of a surprise because he loved nature, he loved going for hikes and walks so when he went out on his own, his sister again didn't think anything but when he failed to return later that evening, the family became really worried like this wasn't like him. So on May 13th, which is five days after he disappeared, his father Mike called the police to report his son, Josh, missing. His dad Mike said, quote, I got up one morning and Josh was there. Then he just never came home. The next day he still didn't come home, so I called his friends. Nobody had seen him. Nobody knows where he is, end quote. So shortly after this, the authorities, his, you know, his friends and obviously his family just were searching all over the neighbourhood and nearby parkland areas where Josh may have decided to go walking. You know, there's a few different areas that they had to search. But after months of searching and nothing being uncovered, hopes just started to fade they literally didn't find anything like no pieces of clothing no indication that he was even there so josh's sister kate hopes that he had simply left town to go and play music or start a different kind of life elsewhere she wrote about her brother's disappearance saying quote Since Josh was 18, it has been reasonable to assume he may have decided to leave town to start a new life. As one of his two older sisters, I have always chosen to believe that this was the case. I have expected Josh to return home but my father's house at any time with a wife and small children so that they can meet their grandparents and two aunts. Josh has always been known for his musical and literary talent so maybe we could find him playing music with a band on tour or catch him writing successful novels under a pen name so that he would keep his preferred lifestyle of solitude in the woods, end quote. So, yeah, like I said, his sister, just all she can believe is that he has run off somewhere to start his own life and doing great things. And to be honest, if I was in that situation as well, and my brother is around the same age and... 
It wouldn't be like him to run off, but if he did, I think the only way I could keep my mind at peace was to to think something like that. So the police had no reason to suspect any foul play, so they just listed him as a missing person. So the years ticked by and there was still no word from Josh. Nobody had heard from him, nobody had seen him, so his parents didn't really know whether he was out there making a life for himself or whether something had happened to him. But in 2015, which is now seven years after Josh went missing, a man called Chuck Murphy, who was an 80-year-old builder from Colorado Springs, was demolishing his old wood cabin on Meadowlark Lane, which was in a large area of land. Like, imagine, imagine like Twilight, the Twilight films. You know, like them really tall pine trees, a little bit like that, if if you can imagine. So, surrounded by these tall pine trees, middle of nowhere, and Chuck had originally purchased the cabin in the 1950s, and it had formerly been the homestead of the Thunderhead Ranch on Rampart Range Road on Woodlands Park's north side. Bit of a mouthful, but it was infamous for dining, drinking, and gambling even, and this was owned in the 1930s and 50s by a man called Bergstrom, or as everyone called him, Big Bert. And he had come from America from Sweden in 1912 and run the Thunderhead Inn as a dining and drinking establishment after the end of Prohibition. And he also, again, used the ranch as an illegal gambling and prostitution den. But he was arrested by the FBI at some point, not quite sure when, and obviously in a subsequent trial, the jury found him not guilty. Um, Apparently, they found him not guilty. So the cabin hadn't been used for a long time, I think about a decade. So it had fallen into a bit of... It needed repairs doing. It it wasn't suitable for living in, should we say. So Chuck had made the decision to demolish the cabin in order to make way for new property development. So in August 2015, the demolition work started and Chuck's brother had lived in the cabin until about 2005. But since moving out, it had become more of a storage facility. And, you know, it was very rare that people went to visit there. It just kind of stored a lot of their stuff. As you can imagine, animals had been a problem. And Chuck said that there was a notable smell when he went to visit the cabin on August 7th. So the workers began to dismantle the chimney. There was two in the cabin, so one of the two chimneys, they started using an excavator, reached into the interior and started knocking it down. And this is when Chuck made a horrific discovery. He came across in the chimney breast the body of a young man who was cramped into a fetal position with his legs above his head. And so obviously he is shocked. He's like, oh my God. So obviously calls the police and they arrive with the county coroner who later, with the help of dental records, positively identified the body to be that of the missing man, Joshua Maddox. So understandably, the Maddox family was shocked by the news of the discovery of his body, you know? 
all this time and they had no idea. His sister Kate said, quote, The situation doesn't make any sense at all. We were really expecting him to be anywhere else in the world, but he was actually very close. The only thing we can figure is he was being an 18-year-old kid checking out the cabin. It had already been abandoned for a long time and a horrible accident happened, end quote. So, like Kate said, he was actually very close. The cabin was only two blocks away from the Maddox family home, yet searchers for Josh had overlooked the building. I'm not quite sure why. Um, there had been... If there had not been any sign of life and there was no reason to check the chimney there. I mean, it's not really a place where you would expect to find somebody, which is understandable, but even so, you'd think that maybe... I don't know. I feel like they still could have checked. Um, so Chuck, the cabinet owner, himself had rarely visited. However, on occasions that he had gone in to check, he himself said that he hadn't noticed anything unusual about the property. And I think the worst thing um, is that the fact that because the cabin was on such a large plot of land, you know, it's in the middle of nowhere, it was surrounded by tall pine trees, about 50 feet from the road, you know, it was quite isolated. You know, the police suggested that with no homes around it, like, or adjacent homes, if Josh had cried for help, it was so unlikely that anybody would have been able to hear him. You know, even if he was screaming at the top of his lungs, nobody would be able to hear him. And to think that he was on his own, and he was, he's probably so scared, you know, it's a tight space, he was down there by himself, I don't know, nobody will know how long he was there for, but it really does make me upset thinking about his final, his final time, you know, by himself, he was probably crying, crying out for help, and nobody was there to hear him, um, yeah, that's quite, quite sad. Obviously, the police and his family and friends, everybody just wanted to know what had happened to poor Josh. How how did he end up in this chimney and gone undetected for so long? So, an autopsy was um, conducted by the telecounty coroner, Al Bourne, and he found absolutely no evidence of any sort of drugs in Josh's remains. And he said, quote... The hard tissue showed no sign of trauma. There were no broken bones, no knife marks, there were no bullet holes. There is so far no answers to a number of things. It is very confusing and it was not an instant death. How he died is only a matter of speculation, but we know that he did not starve to death because that takes many weeks. So then you go down the chain and you have dehydration, which can take just a few days, and the other thing would be hypothermia, which could take a day or two. We have no evidence to say which one came first, end quote. So realistically, we don't know a whole lot from this autopsy. There's a lot of speculation. It could have been any one of those things. But what we do know is there were no signs of foul play. You know, no broken bones or knife marks. 
There seemed to be none of that, which just makes it even stranger. But on September 28th, 2015, Bourne made a ruling of accidental death. He speculated that Josh had climbed into the chimney and had become stuck in the brickwork. He also stated that Josh's position in the chimney, quote, appeared to be, appeared to have been a voluntary act in order to gain access, end quote. So he concluded the most likely cause of death was hypothermia, as the temperature around the time of his disappearance, which would have been about May 8th or 10th, 2008, had dropped to the high 20s, or for me, minus 6.7 Celsius, degrees Celsius, which is ex- extremely cold. So to be fair, if that could be the case then I I could agree with that but there's a lot more to this case than meets the eye. However despite this accidental ruling many locals had issues with the coroner's report especially the family and even Chuck. Chuck questioned the coroner's conclusion of accidental death because The chimney had been built about 20 years before and during its construction it had actually been fitted with a thick wire mesh that hung from steel hooks and this was usually used to keep animals and other debris from becoming lodged inside the chimney or from entering the cabin itself. So technically it shouldn't have really happened. Josh shouldn't have been able to get stuck because there was these... I don't want to say safety features because it's not usual that, you know, people go down chimneys, but there were things in place that meant that it shouldn't have happened. And Chuck actually said, quote, it was a heavy wire grate, a wire mesh. I installed it across the chimney about one row of bricks from the top. We didn't want trouble with raccoons and things getting into the chimney, end quote. But Bourne was of the opinion that the grate could have become rusted or corroded, and Heath further stated, quote, Nobody saw the metal mesh. We didn't see it um, in any of our photos. It may have disappeared, end quote. But, you know, things like that don't just go missing. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but even if it had corroded a little bit, I don't think it would have completely disappeared. But actually, Chuck responded to this during the demolition. Um, He said that all the metalwork had been collected and taken for scrap, which would explain why the mesh was not clearly identified by the coroner, as it wasn't anywhere near the chimney. You know, he said, quote, They were just gathering up all the steel, angle iron and things as part of the demolition they had no idea the mesh had any significance, end quote. So yeah, they probably had already taken it away before they'd started knocking down the chimney. So it wouldn't have been there, but it could have been, but they don't know. Conceding to Chuck, um, Barn reopened the case just three days after his initial conclusion, because it wasn't just this that caused doubt about the original autopsy, there was also something else, and this was a large wooden breakfast bar that had been torn from a wall in the kitchen and dragged over to block the chimney from inside the cabin 
so that obviously raised further suspicions. If the breakfast bar had been torn from the wall, then who had done it and why? And why was it in front of the chimney? I mean, if Josh had climbed in the chimney from inside up and then blocked himself from getting out, I don't really know why I'd do that, it'd be virtually impossible for him to go up the chimney, especially because of the position he was found in. As the coroner said, it would take at least two people to position him in that way. So how did the breakfast bar get there? Josh couldn't go up the chimney and then move the bar to, you know, he wouldn't block himself in. And if he went in, he wouldn't be able to probably get himself out. So that just doesn't seem very logical to me. So as I said earlier, Josh's body had been found in a fetal position and he had his legs above his head and disjointed from his torso. So in order to have got into such a position, he would have had to have entered the chimney head first. But this position was so unusual and Barnard said again that he thought that it would have taken at least two people to position him to position him like that, he, he, I don't think he'd have been able to do it by himself. And what's even what's even stranger was that when Josh's body had been found, he was only wearing like a thin thermal shirt, and the rest of his clothes had actually been found inside the cabin. They'd been folded up and put next to the fireplace. Isn't that weird? That that's why would he do that to himself? And Bourne said, quote, This one really taxed our brains. We found his clothing just outside the firebox. He only had a thermal t-shirt. We don't know why he took his clothes off, took his shoes and socks off, and why he went outside, climbed on the roof and went down the chimney. It was not linear thinking, end quote. So, if it, <laughs> I don't understand Again, like he said, I don't understand why he would do that, so surely there must be something else that, that we're missing, or somebody else. Surely somebody else has got to be involved in this. So, the revised autopsy report said that, again, the cause of death was an accidental death, or murder, or undetermined causes. Nobody really knew. Barnes said, quote, We've come up with the most plausible explanation and it will remain an accident. He did not come down the chimney, that's our conclusion. End quote. And even Chuck, Chuck thought this as well. He said, quote, There's no way that guy crawled inside that chimney with that steel webbing. He didn't come down the chimney. End quote. He remained so convinced that Josh's death had been no accident, adding, quote, he was only wearing his thermal shirt, no pants, no shoes or socks, end quote. So even Chuck thought this was ridiculous to think that this teenager had stripped down to just his shirt and climbed up on the roof and then come down the chimney and sled down knowing he'd be trapped. There's no plausible reason as to why that would happen. So now we know that nobody's really believing this story. Surely there must have been some sort of maybe suspect or somebody that knew something about what happened to Josh. In fact, the police received several anonymous tip-offs suggesting leads and even naming suspects that had bragged about killing Josh. 
One of these suspects um, was now incarcerated in a Texas jail and had previous time in Seattle and Portland prisons with a long history of violent crime. One tip-off had informed the police that this man had been seen with Josh, actually, and when speaking of the man, Bourne said, quote, They can't give me times and specifics and we can't generate stuff that goes back seven years, end quote. So Bourne, he doubted this and even doubted that the man would have been able to put Josh in the chimney alone because he thought it would have been at least two people. In 2015, there was a post on Reddit and this user gave a name to the suspect which would be Andrew Richard Newman and the post said, quote, I went to high school with this skinny, dorky hippie named Andy who played guitar in a band. I was never good friends with him or anything, but a year or so after I graduated, one of my good friends, Josh, started hanging out with him and then he went missing, end quote. It turns out that Andy was no longer this, quote, dorky boy. He had become a lot scarier. In fact, he had actually got himself in a lot of trouble and he, so basically there was a caretaker and a disabled person and they got invited over to, he got invited to their apartment. So this caretaker got in the shower, but when he comes back out, um, the man that he looks after was stabbed to death and Andy was gone. Andy had stabbed this poor man to death which is terrible and so when Andy got arrested he also, (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying this, he also claimed to have killed a woman and stuffed her body in a barrel. Yep, he claimed, he he just told police that, oh yeah by the way I've done this but also, you know. (laughs) And this reddit user then goes on to tell us that The cops did actually find a woman that was found in a barrel in the place where Andy had told them, but they already had somebody in custody for it and decided to stick with that guy instead. And years later, the Reddit user actually found out that this caretaker had tragically died in a bar fight. So without him, the police didn't really have much in the way of evidence, really. So somehow, that case was dropped against Andy. In fact, this user, along with several of his friends, had actually gone to the police saying, you know, like, Josh went missing, you know, this Josh that has gone missing was last seen with this Andy guy who is a murderer. You know, maybe you should check that out. You know, there's all this evidence here, maybe you should go and speak to him. But despite a fair amount of pestering the police, nothing really came of it. And by nothing, I mean that the police mostly didn't even return their calls. And once accidentally cancelled the bulletin on Josh because, quote, he's alive and well and living in the next town over, end quote. Which we obviously know now, he definitely wasn't. The Post also goes on to say that apparently people were calling in to report having heard rumours that Andy was bragging about having, quote, put Josh in a hole, end quote. And the fact that the kitchen bar was across the chimney, or even the fact that Josh's stuff was already inside the cabin, meaning A, 
he'd already broken in and would have had to lock himself out to have to go for the chimney or B he might have noticed either the flue or the big bar would have prevented him from getting in through the fireplace or the fact that when he was found Josh's knees were above his head which again like um, has been said previously sounds that he would have gone in head first you know so there's just so many things that don't make sense especially the fact that he was barefoot and naked from the waist down he had no clothes on he had no reason to go in this chimney so again people do assume and think that this Andy guy had something to do with it especially because he was the last person to have seen Josh and he'd seen him immediately before this stabbing spree you know, he obviously this Andy wasn't in the right mind frame. So unfortunately, this this is it. This is all there is to this case. The mysterious death of this young 18-year-old man and a suspect that police just aren't really taking seriously, even though he's no murderer. You know, he has killed before. There's no reason for him not to have done something to Josh. So, honestly, I feel so much for his family and all the people that knew him. You know, they thought for so long that their son, their brother, their friend was out in the world living his life, becoming this huge musician that he always wanted to be, but in actual fact, he wasn't. He was alone in this abandoned chimney and no one will ever really know how and why he ended up in there and what he went through in his final moments of his life. And unfortunately, that does conclude today's episode. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you have enjoyed and I hope to have you back for another Primed for Crime episode. But in the meantime, if you are still craving for more true crime, then you can head over to my Primed for Crime TikTok page, where I post small snippets of cases daily, and it's nice to interact with you guys on there, you know, see which cases you're liking, see which ones you're not, any suggestions, I'm always willing to do suggestions if you do have those, so please let me know, and yeah, so please be vigilant, and please stay safe, and I will see you very soon. See you later.